Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, you'll be taken to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so. You can do that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can send us an email. You can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. 
and or you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And if we get a question or a comment or a testimonial from you, we will address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archive for your input, feedback, etc. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when people let us know how this is landing for them. As we spend time reading various books, including but not limited to The Way of Mastery and Course in Miracles and Pam Grout's Course in Miracles Experiment and um, Christian Sundberg's A Walk in the Physical and the list goes on and on. We've done a variety of different books over the years and um, we'll continue to do that as long as we're getting feedback that that's useful to people. So um, yesterday we had um, uh, three different people have comments or questions and so we didn't get into extending our reading of the way of mastery we had left off um, having read in the way of mastery I think uh, two full days of reading in lesson four and um, trying to help people as they're listening to this reading uh, attune to the idea that we're listening actively. We're hoping people are actively trying to imagine what's being suggested. As they listen to the reading, what would it be like if I viewed myself as part of the creation, as an extension of the creator's mind energy, as part of what is intended by creation itself, to have unfolding moment to moment. And, and if I do that, and I don't do it from an egoic position, I do it from a simple observation that I don't know when I was created, and I don't know who or how I was created, and I don't know a purpose for my creation. So if somebody comes along and says, so what if you try on the purpose for your life, for your being awake and aware in creation? What if the purpose is for you to be part of what extends the creative energy? What if you take it upon yourself to think your role in the flow of life is to be blessing life and blessing the flow of creation each moment? How different would that be from judging or assessing that life should be different than it is or that it should fit your family's model or your culture's model or your religion's model for what life should be and how does that change your experience of life if you step into that practice in into that experience for yourself that you create for yourself your own sense of purpose And where we left off reading the last time with Lesson 4 was, here's a new axiom. And the new axiom might be quite a challenge to, to a lot of people. The new axiom says, the 
only relationship that holds any value at all is your relationship with your creative source, is your relationship with the depth of the ocean that gave rise to you. And this book has deep understanding and knows right away the mind will say, but what about my mate? What about my parents? What about my children? What about the President of the United States? What about the Postmaster? Your mind, your conscious logical mind, has been shoved full of trivialities. It's what the way of mastery calls the intellect, and it's going to start throwing up all of these objections. And you'll come up with a million examples of relationships that must certainly have great importance. And the way of mastery says, the only relationship that has importance is your relationship with your creator. For when that is in alignment all of your creations, all of your choices for other relationships and how you will be within them will flow effortlessly from the alignment with your relationship with your Creator. So therefore, seek first that relationship with your Creator. Seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you or as Guy Finley says, will be placed in a passive position within you. This book warns us not to try and create a rose by starting with the petals, but plant the seed and nourish the roots and the flower must blossom. If you are in a right relationship with your Creator, and if, you're, if you want to be in a right, right relationship with your Creator, it's absolutely necessary to correct your perception and your relationship with the energy of desire. That begins by releasing your judgment in all of its forms. This is right back to Lesson 3. This process of forgiveness is the process of dismantling your judgments dismantling the negative thoughts and judgments, dismantling the perceptions that arise from your negative judgments. And what it says is that's a delightful energy to be in, the energy of constantly questioning every conclusion, being willing to see through the false perceptions that you've created, the veils that block you from seeing the truth of love and light in everyone and everything that you experience. It starts by choosing to be in the mode of direct observation and to release judgment as soon as you recognize it with the tension within you. It starts by releasing judgment in all of its forms and again, recognize that you can only be in the energy of love or in contraction away from it, which is called fear. You can only be in the space of innocence or in the space of judgment. There's no middle ground there. The love flow alignment, the innocence alignment, these are of the kingdom. The contraction away from love 
the fear alignment, the judgment, these are of illusion. We are being invited to seek first the kingdom, to release all judgments, and to align our mental, emotional, spiritual energy with that of our Creator. And then the text goes on and reads uh, a heading titled, Releasing Judgment of Desire. And the text reads, Learn then, here's an invitation, an invitation for us to learn through simple practice to interpret the patterns you have learned from this illusory world so that you release judgment of the energy of desire. And this will be different for each and every one depending upon where you begin. Here's a very simple exercise. When you awaken in the morning and you've planted your feet firmly on the floor, take a breath, take pause, and ask yourself this question. What do I want right now? And right away the mind will say, well, I'm too busy to know what I want. I have to go off to work. I have to serve everybody else. I'm here to satisfy the world. I have no time to ask myself what I want. Remember that what you decree is, and the thought you hold in the mind will be reflected through the nature of your experience. So, take pause and ask, what do I want? Then, simply give yourself one minute to observe whatever comes up in the mind or even what is felt in the body. Heaven forbid you might want to have sex. Oh, and then you know for sure that you're not a spiritual being. You might want to take a hot shower. You might want a glass of juice or water. You might want to sing. You might want to stretch or breathe. You might want to turn and look at your lover, your mate, still sleeping in the bed. You might want to arise and sneak into the children's room and watch them sleep. You might want to sit down and read the morning paper. The point here is to notice that by asking the question, something will respond within you. And when that response comes, notice that there is a feeling associated with it, a quality that makes your cells in your body sing just a little bit. That is the energy, the elixir of life called desire. In this one minute, you need not rise to act, but simply observe. Ah, what do I want? To take a hot shower. The feeling of the thought, or the thought that emits the feeling in the body, quote, I want to take a hot shower, close quotes. That thought is carried on the elixir of desire. That thought is carried on the energy of creation 
that wants to express uniquely through you in that moment. The text goes on and says, Desire is coming from a depth of your being that, once again, rests right next to the face of the Creator. Might it not be the case that by following the desire that wells up through your heart, by feeling it, by embracing it, you might learn and discover what the ocean is wishing to express through the wave that you are? Maybe that's the case. What if you play with it? What if you allow it? What if you surrender to it and see what happens? If you judge desire, you might be shutting off the creative flow that the mind of the creator wishes to express. Of course, that is the problem. You've tied the hose in a knot through conflicted judgments. Here is a very common one in your world. Be honest with yourself. How many times have you felt the desire to be wealthy? It is not something that you're supposed to sit around and talk about or make very public, especially if you're trying to be, quote, spiritual, close quotes. You may have thought, I woke up this morning and I just imagined having so many golden coins that I could buy the entire planet. And then you remembered, oh, money is the root of all evil. I can't think that way. Well, I better get busy and go off to my office job. While secretly inside, I really resent that job because they don't pay me what my soul is worth. But I'll pretend that I like it. Yep, I'll say I like it just fine. Oh, money? No, no, I'm fine, thank you. Really, I have enough. No, no, really, I'm quite fine. Don't need to pay me more. I don't need a raise. But then as you drive home and a Mercedes pulls up alongside you, you cannot help but turn and say, God, I wish I could afford one of those. And then you think, oh, God, I can't have that thought. So I'll just drive my old Volkswagen down the road. But I'm a very good spiritual person. Be honest with yourself. How many times have you felt welling up within you the desire to be wealthy? What on earth has caused you to fear that desire? What has caused you to tie the hose in a knot so that you try to block that desire from coming into manifestation? Well, perhaps when you were a child, you went to one of your cathedrals and there was someone in a long robe standing up at the platform because everything looked so beautiful, you thought that surely they must have been speaking with some authority. And since this cathedral was filled with a whole lot of small little minds that were all living in their own level of fear, they said things like, money is the root of all evil. And you thought, oh, well, that's the truth. Oh, yes, that's it. That's the truth. Oh, heavens, I better fear money. The text goes on and says, I say unto you, you have one authority. 
And that authority is never held within the office of any church or any organization or any individual. Your authority is the voice for the creator that dwells within your heart and within your mind. Creation is not limited and does not require its children to be limited. For if you would receive all that the creator would give you, you must decide to rise up and to be the grandest wave that you could possibly be. For only in so doing do you honor your creator. You could say that God is like a wise gardener who is constantly trying to grow beautiful roses. She knows exactly how much moisture to put in the soil. She knows how to make those nutrients rise from the soil up to the roots, up through the heart of the stem of the flower to give forth radiant color so that everyone that looks upon that flower is touched by the mystery of beauty. And the Creator wonders, well, it's interesting. These roses that I've created seem to have a mind of their own. As the elixir I tried to give them rises up through the stems, they tie themselves in little knots, and only a little bit of the elixir reaches out. So the petals never fully quite bloom. Have you ever had the feeling that you're putting more energy into staying constricted than you are into allowing expansion? There's a question that will change your life if you'll sit with it. Have you ever had the feeling that you're putting more energy into staying constricted than you are putting energy into allowing expansion? This this work that we're reading, this book, this set of audio files, however you come into contact with them, is hoping that you'll stop at a question like this and spend some time in the question. How, how have I ever been in a space where I've poured more energy into constricting myself, into judging myself as not being worthy or needing to be punished because some things that happened when I was younger that I now look back on and I say, oh, that was really evil of me, etc. And what's the balance between my pouring my mind energy into those thoughts of constriction compared to the mind energy I pour into thoughts of open, expansive creation and allowing and surrendering to the flow of life. Like Yeshua said earlier in this book, he started creating ripples and waves of problems in his childhood when he realized he was going to quit striving for God or creator or connection with a higher source because that begins with the assumption that he doesn't have a connection so he's in the constricted mode he's in a belief that he's not able to be in connection with his source or creator and he he learned that he wanted to spend time allowing 
the creative forces to flow through him, allowing himself to be guided by the connection which is always there. So how much of your time are you spending in negative self-talk? That's a, that's a way to judge how much of your time and energy you're putting into constriction and constricted thoughts. And if you are one of the many hundreds of millions of human beings who are busily fighting off or noticing and pushing around negative thoughts and self-loathing day in and day out, that's a wonderful target for forgiveness, to dismantle those negative thoughts. And as you do, you free up more energy that you can direct toward expansion and creation and allowance and surrender and acceptance and trust. The next title of the Lesson 4 reads, Desire Links You to the Will of God or the Creator. And the text reads, Desire is creation. Therefore, what you desire is of supreme importance. Because as you pour your mind energy into something, you're going to get more of it. You're going to create the experience of life from what you do with that mind energy. So desire is creation. Therefore, what you desire is of supreme importance. If you will take the little exercise that we've given you and begin to put it into practice upon awakening in the morning, in a very simple and quiet way, you will begin to get back in touch with the innocence and beauty of the movement of desire. You can delight in it. When you have a sexual thought, a sexual desire, why not just be with it? Why not notice what it causes to happen in the body? How does your breath change? Does the heart beat faster or slower? Be honest with yourself. Is it not putting a smile on your face? What if you decided to honestly embrace that effect as being perfectly innocent and beautiful? How might your day change if you did not repress awareness of sexual desire? Now, every person here to great effect who's listening to this could spend the rest of this hour or the rest of this day with those, with those few questions right there. Why not just be with a sexual thought when it arises? Why not notice everything that arises and as changes that occur in the body? Is there a change in your breath? Is there a change in your respiration, your heart rate? Is it putting a smile on your face? Or does judgment arise? Have you been trained and conditioned to think this is a bad thing, a horrible thing, the, the devil must make me do this? What if you can decide to honestly embrace that effect as being perfectly innocent and beautiful. 
How would that affect your day if you didn't repress awareness of sexual desire? The text goes on and says, you will notice that we are not saying you should walk down the street and grab everybody that walks by you. We are talking about allowing yourself the living embrace of exactly what energy is moving through your being. Why is this important? Well, if you have decided that there are certain energies that are demonic, evil, or have the power to distract you from your union with your creator, you have already decided that there is something beyond the reach of your power. And that is what disempowers you. Your very decision to believe that is what disempowers you. Not some external force like a devil or a demon or a demonic power. What's happening is you take an innocent energy and you turn it into a monster that must be feared at all costs. It's innocent and simply self-caused. The text goes on and says, Yet I say this unto you, the mystical transformation that carries you from feeling yourself to be a disempowered little drop of foam at the edge of a wave, it takes you from that to the sense of freedom and empowerment, empowered living that flows from the mind of the Creator through you to express only beautiful creations filled with majesty, power, and miracles. That energy is willingness. The mystical transformation is what Michael Rice calls the cosmic grease willingness the willingness to turn to the very energies that move through the mind and the body and to accept them to allow them to embrace them rather than fear them instead look upon them with innocence and wonder look upon every energy that arises as part of the flow of life and welcome it with childlike curiosity. The text goes on and says, this is the source of the myths that have been told in all cultures. The knight that slays the dragon or kissing the wild beast on the cheek and it becomes a loving companion. Your monsters are what you fear and repress because of the judgments you have learned in the world. And the world is only the denial of the kingdom. The world outside of us that we see with our eyes and ears, that we participate in with other people who are running from fear and contraction, and the world is the opposite, exact opposite of the capital T truth. If you're sitting in one of your cathedrals and everyone is saying, quote, 
Sexuality is very bad. It will keep you from God, close quotes. Right away, you should realize that if everyone there fears sexuality, sexuality must be divine. Allow yourself to think, quote, Perhaps I would do well to embrace sexuality, love it, master it, allow it, surrender to it, trust it, rather than generate fear about it. Imagine that someone says unto you, money is the root of all evil. And then they put out their hands and say, would you please make a donation to our organization? Now, isn't that an expression of conflict? And yet, conflict permeates religions and dogmas of your world, which say things like, don't desire money, don't desire wealth, and by the way, to keep this ministry on the radio station, we need you to send us a donation. What are they trying to teach you? What are they in denial of? Sex and money, pretty basic things, are they not? They represent energies that flow from the mind of the Creator, which would express in unlimited joy and power and not be willing to settle for the limitation of any kind. These energies are the energies of creation. Their entire purpose and expression is expansion and extension. The text goes on and says, When the earth was birthed from the holy mind of the Creator, and it took on its own form and became an entity just like you, the Creator did not say, Well, it's a pretty beautiful planet, but I can only have one solar system just large enough for the earth. Rather, out of joy, the Creator allowed there to come forth solar system upon solar system upon solar system. The birthing of a thousand suns every moment as a field in which this beautiful jewel of a planet could spin. That is true creation. What quality of solar system have you decided to allow in which the planet of your own awareness can spin and live and express? There's another powerful question. You could spend the rest of the hour or the rest of your day with that question. What quality of thoughts, what quality of beliefs, what quality of solar system have you decided to allow in which the planet of your own awareness can spin and live and express? This is a powerful question. How are you going to focus your energy? What are you going to spend your time doing? What kind of people are you going to surround yourself with? What kind of endeavors are you going to pour your mind energy into? How much of your day are you going to spend watching what they call the news? which is just a compilation of the worst of the worst and the most dramatic and the most intense and the most us-against-them kind of stories they can generate. 
And why are they doing that? Because they've learned over time that they can get high ratings if they do that, that they can have other people tune in. So that's a powerful question. What what kind of a solar system, what, what kind of friends are you going to surround yourself with? What kinds of activities are you going to pour your mind energy into? You know, I had a, a fairly, I had a brand new person come in to um, work with me recently, a person in their 60s, and um, everything was about my husband and my grown children and this person and that person and what they're doing and how bad it is and they don't believe me and they don't trust me and they don't want they're not being nice to me and all the talk was about everybody and everything outside of them so as i always do when i get a new person in i start asking them to start examining questioning for themselves what do you really have any control over how much of the things that you're talking to me about are things that you have any influence over at all? And then second or third session, she came in and she said, I said, how are you? She said, I'm, I'm doing better. And I said, oh, why are you better? And she said, well, because my daughter allowed me to see the grandkids and because I'm going to be going somewhere on a weekend to see somebody I like this next weekend and I said oh okay let me help you understand that that's not why you're feeling better that you're not feeling better because you got to see your grandkids or your daughter allowed that or because you're going to be going to see this other person you're feeling better because you've chosen to interpret those things as good and you're focusing your mind energy on those interpretations. And as you might imagine, I got some pushback. No, I really did feel good because I hadn't been able to see my grandkids for several weeks and my daughter was mad at me or whatever. And, and, and when she said I could see them, I was just delighted and I feel so good about that. And we went through the whole process of helping her observe what if your daughter had said, okay, you can come see them, but just this once. And then you went to see your grandkids, and the whole time you were there, all you kept thinking about was, that darn daughter of mine, she's still going to restrict me, and she has no right to restrict me. I should be able to see my grandkids every week if I want. And, and you wouldn't be generating so much happiness about being with the grandkids because you'd be focusing your thoughts on how you resent your daughter trying to restrict you. And what if your daughter says, okay, but I don't want you to come back next weekend or we have other plans or the kids are busy, and you spend all of your time at home wishing you could be with your grandkids, not doing something rewarding with friends, not doing a hobby, or that's you choosing 
the focus of your mind energy. You choosing, as way of mastery would say, what is the solar system that you're going to allow your consciousness to spin in? There's some deep, powerful truths and observations in this way of mastery that's calling us to be awake to how we're creating our own experience of life. And if we choose to wake up to that, the sky is the limit about what we can create. And as long as we're not willing to question and observe what it is we're already doing that's keeping us constricted, as they were talking about earlier in the lesson, then we just keep locking ourselves into this smallness and and no one can change that but us. So what about this exercise? Will you take your work to the next level? Will you spend some time, a minute or two, in the morning when you awaken, as soon as you put your feet on the ground, before you stand up, and just ask yourself, what do I want right now? What is the desire moving through me right now? Most of the people who read The Way of Mastery don't take these invitations to explore these exercises. They don't accept the invitation. They just read it and they go on. And they don't stop and make a practice of the exercise that's being offered. And in a situation like this, if we aren't willing to engage this practice, we will not truly uncover all of the negative judgments we hold about an energy like desire. And if we don't uncover it, we can't dismantle it, we can't change it for the better or something that's more productive, if you don't like the term better. So there's the invitation. Explore your judgments against or about desire and expand your ability to tune into the energy of desire by the practice of just asking, what is it? that I want? What is it that I desire in this moment? And feel the complete comfort and safety of knowing you can ask that question and you can become aware of those energies and those urges and impulses and you can still choose, fully choose whether or not to engage it, whether or not to elevate it to the level of behavior by making it a goal. It is perfectly safe for you to experience the sexual urges, the urges for money, the urges for different foods or different accoutrements and different possessions. It's perfectly safe for you to observe and experience those energies deeply. 
that's not what most of us are taught. And since we're taught differently, we tend to believe what we've been taught. And this book is helping us question everything we believe. This book is inviting us over and over again to question everything. And when you move into that as an experience rather than just read it and move on, you're inviting a level of growth and change that you can't get any other way. No one can do this for you. So we have some time for comments and questions. 563-999-3581. Whether you want to make a comment or a question about Lesson 4 in Way of Mastery or anything else we've talked about over the last almost 13 years, we have time. We've got about 14 minutes left. How is this landing for you? What what are you making of the axioms of truth that are being offered? If you've done any of the experimenting with the exercises that have been offered so far, what's been your experience? Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. I've had um, two other people since yesterday's show um, have comments or discuss uh, the book Breath by James Nestor, and um, it's fascinating how people's experience goes all over the map um, some people are absolutely convinced that they cannot change the way their body works and the way they breathe naturally and and other people are willing to play around with it and experiment so um One of the things that's come to me in the past couple of days is the uh, the thing I used to talk about this a lot in my sessions with people. They used to hook people up with QEEGs and functional MRIs and watch the electric electricity the activity of electricity in the brain and the electricity um, the activity of the blood flow and the different parts of the brain functioning at um, different levels when they're doing different activities. And then they would ask people a question. And the simple one that I often use in the, in the session is, I put my hand in my pocket and I say, now, what might I have in my pocket? And I tell them, no, if we were tracking with an EEG, a QEEG and blood flow and functional MRI right now, we would see in almost immediate response to my asking that question, we would see your neural activity go through the roof. And then as I move my hand around and I jiggle within my pocket and it doesn't make a noise like, 
coins or keys, then the brain activity goes stays high because now you're wondering, well, it's not coins and keys, but it's clearly something in there. And, and then if you make a decision, oh, it's a, it's a car fob, your brain activity collapses, goes way down as soon as you draw a conclusion. And then if I say, okay, now I'm pulling this thing out of my pocket and I have it Inside my hand, my hand's completely wrapped around it. And we say, now, if it were a car fob, even though my hand is large, you think I could hold a car fob and have my hand completely closed so you can't see any of it? And they'll say, no, so what must it be? Now, I'm asking again what it might be, and my brain activity goes skyrocketing. When I'm in the state of questioning and observing, my brain is quite active. As soon as I think I know my brain activity bottoms out. And then I move my hand a little bit and I say clearly there's something here, but it can't be too solid or too large. And eventually I say, okay, here it is. It's one of those micro claws, microfiber claws for wiping my glasses. And instantly, if we had these people hooked up to brain scans, we'd see their brain activity bottoms out again. Now there's no questioning. There's no reason to be actively scanning. There's no high activity. The benefits to living in the question, the benefits to living questioning life and being in direct observation, I don't think they can be overstated. And yet, most of us are functioning in the realm of we need to be right and we know that the other political party is wrong and we know that the people from the other country are wrong and we know that they're right and we're wrong and we're constantly in that mind state that keeps our brain functioning at a low level and it does not allow for growth. It does not allow for learning. It does not allow for expansion and creativity. So I really enjoy the fact that here in Lesson 4, The Way of Mastery, they're giving us an exercise that allows us to just sit in the question and stay in that open space, even for just a minute or two. Why? Because that is a higher level of functioning than belief or knowing. And I'm, I'm just here to have you observe. I'm inviting you to observe. Take any teacher you have, and they make any kind of a firm statement. This is this and that is that. And there's any kind of firmness or tension or emotion in their voice. Just notice what happens. Notice the response within you. Notice the energetic shift you pick up in them when they know. And they know they know and they've got righteousness on their side or they've got vindictiveness on their side. Just notice the energy. And create the the permission for yourself, since you're the one who's creating this kind of thing for yourself, give yourself permission 
to just observe. Do I like the way this feels? Do I like what goes on in me when I hear somebody talking and I think they've got similar uh, political views to what I believe and, and I hear them talking about how you know the other side has really got it all wrong. What, what happens inside me when that energy is flowing? And do I like it? Do I prefer it? Is it pleasant? Does it leave my brain functioning wide open and you know in, in that open learning state? Or have I just shut down? Have I just made the determination that I know everything I need to know? It's an invitation. It's the same kind of an invitation that's here in Lesson 4 when it says, here's a practice you might want to engage to help yourself become aware of the negative judgments you're holding about an energy like desire and to start dismantling them and observing in a wide open childlike curious way what happens when I ask myself what do I want right now what am I willing to allow to flow through me in terms of awareness so I'm I'm suggesting because I've done it myself to great effect over the years that you engage these exercises even if it's just for a few minutes a day in the morning as this one says just for a minute or two as soon as you put your feet on the floor waking up from being in bed and just ask yourself what do I want to do right now how is the flow of life energy tugging at me to try and express in this moment it is as I have experienced over the years and various times I've engaged this exercise it's quite the eye-opener and if you do that if you decide to do that and you want to share any of those experiences with us we'd be happy to have you do that 563-999-3581 call that number press one on your phone and um and do what way of mastery in one of the uh, one of the darshan one of the Q and A's I guess calls um, undressing in front of a friend, which is just be as open and honest as you can about whatever energies you're experiencing and thoughts you're having, and in, including if there's a part of you going, you know, this is complete nonsense. This is just ridiculous. I've I've been trained my whole life through my religious practice that I need to be in control and I need to marshal my resources of self-control and willpower and I cannot let myself desire things willy-nilly because that's that's the devil and that's the sexual stuff is bad and the money greed stuff is bad and 
even if you have those ideas, we'd be happy to hear about them. And especially if you're willing to experiment with them to see what are the opportunities for growth that lie outside of what you've already been taught. That's really what the core of this work is about for me. How can I grow? How, how can my life quality change and expand as I open myself, if I stay more and more open day-to-day, moment-to-moment? And um, if you're willing, if you want to, you know, Join us in playing full-on with this stuff, whether that is engaging in these exercises that we're invited to from Way of Mastery or doing worksheets and talking about them. We're, we're wide open to accepting feedback and input. And you know, today's a Wednesday, so there won't be any support group tonight, but there'll be another one tomorrow. And... Um, all the information you would need to join us or pass that information along to somebody else is available at mindshiftersacademy.org. So, if you're up for it, engage this practice. Do it a few times tomorrow morning before you uh, get going in your day and call in tomorrow and let us know what, what the experience was like or what kinds of judgments you were able to uncover about your own relationship with desire. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Kim. I appreciate it. And You're welcome and deserving. Welcome every- Have a wonderful show. Thanks. Welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Wednesday. It's December 13th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in. I'll just say, you know, we had talked yesterday um, about the the uh, documentary or the TV series, rather, um, on the oh, what was it? The Queen. Um, oh, my mind's gone. I can't think of the name of it. I think um, the Crown. Okay, and uh, we were going to watch the episode that we were talking about yesterday. We were going to watch it last night, but. The only place you can get it, unless you want to buy it, is uh, Netflix, and we no longer have Netflix, so we couldn't watch it. But so anyway, the, our discussion on that won't take place today. Anyway, um, get Michael. My mind is going in about a hundred directions. Michael's going to announce something about. Um, a series that we're going to start in January on the Enlightenment, and I'm going to. Um, hold on a second. So he's going to tell you about that while I'm trying to figure out what this is going to uh, cost us on this end. And then he'll be able to uh, 
to give you final information. So he should be on with us here in just one second. It's uh, something that that, uh, he plans on starting in January. And so we're going to give everybody, that'll give everybody uh, two or three weeks because we're going to wait until about mid-January to order the Enlightenment books. So when he gets on here, then I'm going to get off and go check on uh, the mailing and everything and see what this would run. And then he's going to give you specifics. Uh, If you've got the Enlightenment, then you're a step ahead and you ask what the Enlightenment is. If you go to our website, whyagain.org, up in the top, you'll see one of the menu items is the Kaboris. Kaboris, you can go down and it says Enlightenment. And it is... uh, what has been translated so far out of the Kaboris manuscript. And so Michael can talk more about that. And uh, But that way you can get an, uh, kind of a heads up of what it's about and everything. And like I said, if you've already got one, then you're ahead of the game. So Michael, I'm going to turn it over to you and I'll, <clears throat> I'll figure out what the shipping on this is and then I'll get back to you Perfect. before you finish talking. Okay, sweetie. Thank you. So welcome, everybody. Delighted and excited that we get to do this again, and we're going to open a new phase. I was, I had mentioned the idea of perhaps uh, covering the Kaboris or the uh, Enlightenment book, which is what we've published so far from the Kaboris manuscript, the Aramaic work we've been working from all these years. And uh, I'm looking at how we can proceed with that. It's going to be interesting. Um, and and it won't just be the translation work, but <clears throat> we'll do some work with the history. I have a few fun stories to tell about Dan McDougald and the Social Service Agency in, in uh, Albany, Georgia, where we worked with the manuscript. Probably a couple of stories out of the prison in Atlanta, out of the jail system down there. We'll, we'll you know, all the years of, uh, of Dan coming to Heartland each summer for... Geez, I don't know, 15, 16 years, Dan came to Heartland, and uh, we co-taught Laws of Living. And then once or twice a year, I would go down to Albany, Georgia, and co-teach Laws of Living. And the Laws of Living comes straight out of the Aramaic. The way that the Laws of Living came to, to be is that Dan had created a course for the prisons from the Aramaic, called Emotional Maturity Instruction, EMI. And then when Dan and I connected, and my background being in naturopathy, we combined the medical aspect of uh, the work that I'd been doing, and, and I had been teaching courses under the name Lessons in Living, actually, back, whew, I remember how many years ago, in uh, Delray Beach, Florida, started a program, well, I can tell you how many years ago. My son was about five, and he's 44 now, so (laughs) 39 years ago. And uh, we had looked at schools for for my children, didn't really find anything very satisfactory, and uh, tried a couple of them for a very short period of time. It just wasn't workable, so we started a parent school. But at the same time, I was teaching at Unity of Delray, and they had a kindergarten to eighth grade (laughs) class and we started a uh, course called Lessons in Living for kids from kindergarten to grade 8. 
And it was shortly after that that Dan happened to come to Fort Lauderdale. He had a brother down there. And I actually don't remember exactly how we connected, but somehow we connected. I can remember sitting in a restaurant in Fort Lauderdale just having this. I'd start a sentence and Dan would finish it. And he'd take it in the direction of the Aramaic, and I'd take it in the direction of the, the naturopathic medicine and the the work that I'd been developing to that point, nutrition and all of that. And so we ended up creating the laws of living when we put the two courses together. And that all flowed primarily from the Kabor's manuscript, which what we've published so far from that manuscript is in a, a book called Enlightenment. So... On uh, January 15th, we're going to start to do the Enlightenment Project. The book normally sells for $25 plus shipping, and that's what Jeannie's just checking on. I think the shipping normally comes out around 7 or $8. So what we're going to do as a special related to those who want to get the book for uh, being part of the radio show is we're going to uh, do free shipping on it. So we'll absorb the shipping costs. And uh, it'll be just a straight up $25 for the book. And uh, you'll be able to mark up. The book consists of three sections. There's an introductory section that talks about the manuscript, how it came together. And then there's a section, the middle section is select passages from the New Testament. And what the uh, foundation selected to do was to leave the key words that were in Aramaic in brackets and do a translation from of some select passages from the New Testament. The Kaboris is a a copy of the uh, the uh, full Eastern canon of the New Testament in Aramaic. And uh, and then the final, the last section of the book, the third section is a first century Aramaic dictionary. There were about twenty translators who worked on some of the world's top aramicists <coughs> worked on doing that translation work, and the the particular focus was to do the best they could do, you know, being out here in the, the 1900s, to do the best they could do to establish the first century meanings of Yeshua's words as they fell from his lips. So that was the focus of 20 of the world's top aramuses, several of those folks were Native American speakers and others were just biblical scholars who had worked with the Aramaic. And, you know, you'll get a strong, strong comeback from most of the Greek-oriented folks who will tell you that that work was all done in Greek and Yeshua, if he sat and listened to what those folks are saying, he'd say, that's all Greek to me. Because none of it was done in Greek. None of it. Not a thing. <laughs> the, the language, the syntax, the, the focus, the meanings of the idioms were all Aramaic. And, and you just can't translate an idiom. You can't do it. You know, you've probably heard me share before the, the story about, oh, we have a fellow coming from Russia make a long story short, you speak Russian, you house him, you bring him to the workshop, you translate for him. We have dinner a couple of times over the month that he's here and we have a great time and at the end of the week I want this fellow who I don't speak any Russian, he doesn't speak any English, I want him to know how great I think he is and so I say, would you please tell our new friend that I think he's really cool. 
And you turn to our new friend and you say, Michael thinks you've got a low body temperature. You translated my words perfectly, but you didn't say a word about what I meant. And so, so, so much of what we hear in churchianity today has nothing whatsoever to do with Yeshua's words. They're stuffed in his mouth by the Greeks, but it just isn't. It just is senseless. It just doesn't, you know. Anyway, we're going to get into that and look at those first century meanings and uh, and see how it unfolds. I suspect we'll probably tie in some of the laws of living material that was developed out of that uh, study and that work with the Kaboras. So we'll start that on January 15th, and uh, we've been trying to figure out because our uh, our catalog, if you go and order from the catalog, it uh, automatically attaches shipping, and then we have to pay that, uh, and or a percentage of that, you know, however it comes in. So what we're going to do is if you go to our website, go to whyagain.org, at the bottom of the page there's a donate button. And if you just click that, it goes through PayPal. If you have a PayPal account, you can just do it straight through PayPal. And so, and if we're friends of yours or family, we'll ask if you would when you do that donation is click the button that says friends and family. And that means we won't have to pay them uh, from what you uh, you send us for the manuscript. And so if you just mark your donation enlightenment and put your address in, your name and address, then that will give us the information we need in order to ship the book to you. And I will put a link in uh, the notes for today directly to the, um, like if you do, a, if you click on donate, if you don't have uh, PayPal, um, you click on the donate, and then when you put in the $25, the next page will give you the option. I'm doing it as I'm talking, so hold on, my computer's slow. It right. gives you the option. It, it says, this organization needs your address for their records. And so you put in the mailing address where you want it sent, and then click donate. However, like Michael's, and it gives you the option. You can either use PayPal or you can use, you know, a credit card or a bank account or whatever. Um but if you do have a PayPal account, don't go through the website because even the donate on the website, PayPal gets part of it. But if you have a PayPal account, you can just sign into your account and click that you want to donate to Heartland Aramaic Mission. I'll send you. I'll put that information in the notes for today as well. So you can several ways that you can pay it there, either with your credit card or your bank account or however you have it set up, and be sure that we have the mailing address. So we're going to get it done as economically as we can uh, in terms of picking up the shipping. Uh, so, so if you would do that and you want to join us for it, that would be awesome. And in the meantime, of course, this conversation has been, been going on now on this radio show. We're, we'll be heading in January into our 13th year, which is pretty amazing. I think back to the first, we were in Fort Lauderdale, actually, when we met a young lady who had a blog talk show and we started to uh, to do a radio show through her connection with blog talk and then we did that for a couple, three years, I guess, and, and then we got our own account with blog talk 
And uh, so we've been doing an hour to two hours a day, five days a week for 12 years now. So all of those archives are available to you. All you do is go to our website, whyagain.org. And in the middle of the page, you'll see a picture of a microphone. And if you click that microphone, you can just drill down from there. There are links, and you can go in, and you can get the archives of today's show or any one of the last, oh, it got to be getting close to 5,000 now. And if you want to do it through, if you've got a uh, podcast system that you, uh, you use, you can get it through your podcast system, uh, MindShifters Radio. And some podcast systems only allow 300 shows, and we've got, as I say, probably close to 5,000 now. So if you want to get them all, one place I know you can, I'm sure there are more, I'm just not familiar with them, but if you want to be able to look back through all of the podcasts that we've done over the years, just uh, download iHeartRadio and go into podcasts there, and they're one that I know show everything that uh, that's in the archives. Some of them only show up to 300, which is just a minuscule amount of what we've, what we've got. And if you choose to listen to any of our old shows, and the information is always relative, there are notes, and you know you can see what that show is about in probably now, Janie, most of the shows. There are notes. Um, yeah, except for the earlier shows. I, I wasn't taking notes at the very beginning, yeah. Right. So there are notes and links to everything that's talked about in most of them. And if you happen to go back and see a title that uh, that you're interested in, or well, actually, I don't think there are even titles either, so you know, earlier shows. So if you go back and listen to an earlier show, we would really appreciate your support in making a note of what the date is on the show. And just doing a brief, you know, outline of what it was. Was this about, you know, healing through relationships? Did we talk about communication? You know, so if you just do some, it doesn't have to be anything detailed or as detailed as you want to make it. But if you take some notes on what was in that particular show, then we'll add them to the show, to, you know, send them to us and uh, email them to Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org, so genie at whyagain.org. So if you email that to Jeannie, then that will help us because we'll, it'll put it on the notes and then it'll, it'll make the, uh, the searchability of topics uh, more complete. So hoping to make it easier to find and easier to work with as we work toward in one of the shows that we did back just a few weeks ago now was a show entitled Aramaicisms. If you're interested in getting into what we're going to do with the Kaboris, you can go back to the archives and listen to that four-hour Aramaicisms. And I'm sure that probably with the next year we'll probably play that whole four-hour series again up until we put it on that show. It was only available as a paid download. It was in our catalog. Uh, and so it's now part of the uh, 
it's out there, so you could just without having to go and pay for it on our on our in our catalog. And and if you want to support us, we'd be delighted if you would pay for it in the catalog. But you know we're working to make everything we can as freely available as possible, and uh, and just invite you if you're in a position and you've got the money to do it to to do something in the way of support, so that those who don't have it, uh, so that we're empowered to be able to make it more and more and more available. You'll notice that we don't have any commercials on this uh, on this show, and uh, we don't monetize it in any way, shape, or form. We actually pay to do the show, <clears throat> and it's just part of our effort to make the teachings of Yeshua, Allah, first century Aramaic, universally available. Now, if you go to our website, we've got about twenty thousand pages. There's four more there by now, and it's all about. How do we make everything we know about this available to everyone as freely as we can? Yes, there are some paid options, but as freely as possible, how can we make it available so that everyone has access to it regardless of financial circumstances or level of willingness to pay? And so there are options. If you want to support us, there's a catalog. There's a donate button. If you're benefiting from the work, we invite you to consider that. You can go to our YouTube channel. There are dozens of videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-Y-C-E, on your YouTube link, uh, and you'll find dozens of our videos there. What's that, Jeannie? Um, Well, two things. One, I was just going to say, you know, we're coming up the end of the year, and a lot of people use charitable donations, um, for their tax deduction, the book would not be because you're actually getting something for that donation. We're just right. doing it that way so that you don't have to pay shipping. But, you know, you can also make a donation to this work and, you know, let me know because some people donate and they don't necessarily need a receipt, so I don't automatically send them all out. But if you do if you do make a donation and you need a tax receipt, please email me at Jeannie. J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org and uh, let me know and, that you need one and your current address and I will get that out to you. I got a text just now says, how long do you think it would be before the book is sent out if I send the PayPal payment today? Just thinking about where I'll be during the holidays so I can have it shipped to a different address. I would, we'll get it we've already well. missed the... Right. We've already missed the mail for today. They've already run. So I would get it packaged up today and get it in the mail tomorrow. And the person that wrote that's in California. No, you're not in California. Um, if, But if you are all the way out into California, it still shouldn't take but, what, maybe three or four days, even including all the Christmas rush oh, and everything. Probably. No, I'd count on more like... With Christmas and all, I'd count them more like seven or eight days going to California. Okay. That'd be my thought. So um, if you're closer to us than that, you'd get it sooner. But uh, I would think that within the week anyway. So today is the 13th. So if you're thinking you're going to be gone for the holidays, you should get it by the 21st or close to. So if you're going to be gone that weekend, you might want to have it sent. Just let us know. Yeah. And, and it's it ships media mail, which is a little bit slower than first class. So 
Right. And knowing how the Postal Service has been degraded over, well, the last couple of years, it's actually gotten a little better, but uh, back three years plus ago, we had stuff that was taking weeks that should have that normally would take. You know, they went in and they destroyed uh, some of the new equipment that had been purchased in order to expedite mail. I mean, it was just an atrocity what happened in the post office. Oh, four years, three, four years ago, five years ago, six, seven. The it was just you know a uh, a man was appointed who had his own shipping business at. Uh, coordinated with the uh, with the post office and so he literally went in and just destroyed post office equipment just purposely slow it down to, and it appears to uh, increase his business which is just bizarre but so things are are somewhat slower than uh, than they have been in the past and, and uh, so just be aware of that but that's another whole story So that's our, our next project, and I'm looking forward to how that's going to unfold, getting more of the focus on the Aramaic. It'll be interesting to see what develops out of the conversation. It'll be fun to uh, to move it forward. If you, just for information, if you do order it from the cart or from the shopping uh, section, it will add uh, $9.00 to ship it. You, you cut out there, Jeannie. If you do order from oh. the shopping cart? Then it's $9 that it will charge you for the shipping. So by making it as a donation, yeah. you save $9. Yeah. So again, if you just go in to the donate button, put in the word enlightenment, your name and address, and the $25 donation and that $9 will not be charged. If you put it in as an order, and the system automatically you know, calculates what it's going to cost, and it's nine dollars to ship it. So, so we'll absorb that and get as quickly as we can. So, Miss Jenny, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up, or anything happening in the chat room? No, it's all quiet. No hands are up. So, if you have a question or a comment, or there's something we can support you with, press one. And you're first in line with no waiting. We have 37 minutes. And with no hands up, the direction I'd like to go is to look at the idea that each of us came into the world where there was a culture and a direction that the culture was going. When And one of the objectives of this work is to assist people in looking at life instead of through the lens of your perceptual constructs and all the categories of human drama and trauma and such to move more and more to looking at life as an energetic dynamic, you know, realizing that we are energetic beings. We're not physical beings. If we listen to Einstein, he says, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. We don't live in a material world. One of the basic principles of this energetic world of energy is a thing called inertia. 
And inertia basically says that a, a body at rest will continue to be at rest until something knocks it out of that state of rest, or a body moving in a particular direction at a particular rate of speed will continue to move in that direction at that rate of speed unless it's acted upon by an outside force. So we've all been brought into this river of life and we have our culture. We have our family culture. We have our country's culture. We have our language cultures. Different parts of the country. I know I can remember the first time that I went to the farmer's market in Atlanta, Georgia. And it took me several tries before I understood what this little guy, who was probably about seven, was trying to say to me. And his father was a farmer who grew tomatoes. And I couldn't possibly repeat the way that he said it, but basically it was something along the lines of, hey, you want some maters, mister? And so, you know, we have our, our cultures that have a direction that they lead us emotionally, mentally, physically, intellectually. And then we have this multi-quadrillion, multi-generational database called the Body-Mind Unit. I was actually invited, you know, you, some of you have been in intensives with or heard our friend Dr. John Laurence from Sarasota, Florida, who's got a rather unique healing practice as a chiropractor and chiropractic neurologist. And I was listening to one of his, uh, he had a conference this past weekend, some really interesting speakers. In fact, I'm going to talk to John and see if maybe we can bring some of his, his material in from that conference. But as I listened to several hours of speakers, there were all kinds of technologies, working with physical stuff, working with drugs, only drugs that, you know, they're classified as drugs, but are more things that are more natural to the body. And in all of it, Nobody had anything to say about the fact that we come into, at the beginning of our lives, this multi-quadrillion, multi-generational database that has its own inertia, its own set. And impacts, influences, and filters everything that we experience. And... I haven't had the conversation with John yet, but I plan to. It's like, why didn't anybody say a word about how you remove content from that database that perhaps is creating problems in your life? Nobody used the word forgiveness in the whole conference. Now, to be generous about that, I didn't get to listen to every hour of the conference, so somebody might have thrown it in there, but it was just like, for me, it was so glaringly missing. And, you know, John's done this work over over the last 30 or more years, been really impacted by it. But to recognize that 
there is an energetic thrust from your family culture, your generational patterns. And the core tool for changing that energetic thrust is Yeshua's first century Aramaic tool of forgiveness. Is a way that you can, when you when you realize, and I'm, I don't know how to come up with a number big enough, multi quadrillion. Like how many is that? How how much data is there in your genes, in your cells, that when resonated into activity, give meaning to the things you're experiencing? And are those meanings all based in your human life, love? Or are some of those meanings based in something other than love? And if they are, what do you do about it? I'd invite everybody to consider that everything your mind has ever shown you or informed you about that's been based in hostility or fear is a lie. One of the things that uh, sort of brought this into awareness for me, I've, I've listened to a lot of different things. And I recently listened to a man who's, uh, from what I gather, a very well-respected intellectual atheist, a fellow named Dawkins. And I, I read through some of the comments on his video. It was like a two-hour video. And the brutal sarcasm this man used throughout in order to diss people who don't believe as he does. And he's apparently an extremely well-respected intellectual, according to some of the comments. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, this guy's impacted my life. It's like, but ignorance of the simple work that Yeshua brought forward that says there's a place in your mind that if you set it properly, your whole reality structure will be informed by love as he sarcastically, you know, aimed his shots at quote-unquote Christians or uh, Muslims or Jews. You know, didn't he, he wasn't, he was an equal degrader of any religion going and yet some of the most basic work of Yeshua that said if your mind is informed by hostility or fear you're dead you're destroying yourself and this guy even you know made comments about how how he liked his sarcastic nature it's like sir you're as dumb as a board when it comes to understanding how your own mind works. And you're out there impacting people by the thousands with this hostile, sarcastic uh, expression that you're so proud of. You know? I doubt he even knows the way he bragged about sarcasm is that the root of the word sarcasm means to tear flesh. And that sarcasm is our culture's socially acceptable way of expressing otherwise unacceptable rage. And rage is one of the greatest destroyers of accurate perception that there is in the world. 
this man that he was dissing so deeply, this man Yeshua from 2,000 years ago, would have sat down and explained to him, Sir, you need to understand how your own mind works. Because in all of your getting, you haven't got the fact that you're a human being yet. And you think sarcasm is a a, a fun and, and uh, reasonable way to interact with other human beings. And you don't even know that there's a filter in your own mind that's destroying your perception. And it's this multi-generational database that until we clean it up, corrupt data shows up through the hostility and fear filters within your mind. And when hostility or fear are in control of perception, your mind is using its worst corrupt data to literally, let me back up, rather than to literally, what the mind does is it converts the digital information of our thoughts into pictures. And if the digital information of our thoughts is based in hostility or fear, then that digital information is corrupt information. Corrupt meaning that when you use it, there's no way to see or comprehend the truth. The actual facts of what's going on in the world. It's just not possible. And that there is a technology, and it's, for me, to a, to a certain degree, it's sad that this technology has been brought into our Western awareness as though it's about theology, when it's not. That's one of the greatest disservices that the Greeks have done to the teachings of Yeshua. They turned them into a theology. When the truth of it is, it's about physiology. It's about physics. It's about genetics. It's about psychology. But it's been distorted, and sadly, in so many cases, distorted by those whose minds are totally blown out by their own hostility and fear. And so you look at how many places we have this, this terror, terrorist called God that's out to get us. And what we have are minds who take the teachings of the man Yeshua and refuse to use the tools or don't know the tools are even there with which to correct their own faulty perceptions And they promote this theology, supposed theology, that, well, you're nothing but a useless sinner, worthless sinner, and you can't do anything of your, on your own. There's nothing you can do, and doing something won't help anyway because there's only one way, and that's through faith. <laughs> now, if you go back and listen to Man Yeshua, when they tell those guys who want to pretend that it's, that's the end of the story... He tells them there's a work to be done. They say to him, too hard a saying. 
and they leave. No, no, too hard. You mean I have to face my rage, my guilt, my grief, my hatred, my the generational thrust of the vengeance and the brutality that's shown up in my family system through abusive drunken fathers, abusive drunken mothers, drug-addicted, drug-addled children? Did I have to live with that? And there's nothing I can do about it? When... And, and my offering is today, psychology doesn't even scratch the surface. You know, all the great psychiatrists, all the great psychologists out there, doesn't even scratch the surface of the basic principles that this man presented that are just the root of understanding and the root of healing. And sadly, it was turned into a theology. And the tools, the how-to, have been covered up with this story about, well, there's nothing you can do anyway. And the tools have basically just been tossed away, just dropped out and disappeared. As though they were never there, as though there were never tools delivered. And yet, in that ancient Aramaic language, there were some of the most profound tools for psychological healing that have ever come to the earth. And guess what? You can't hear a word of that in Greek. It's just, it's just like there's just no, no way to deliver it. It's, it's like, you know, like I spoke of uh, the, this Russian gentleman. You turn to him in your best Russian and say, Michael thinks you've got a low body temperature. But Michael said, you're really cool. And the Aramaic language is just rife with idioms. It's loaded from start to finish with idioms. And as I say, I don't care how great a language translator you are, I don't care how well-versed you are in how many different languages, if you don't know that that word cool is an idiom, you'll translate it as something to do with temperature. When the fact is, when I say he's really cool, it's something to do with how great I think he is, how wonderful I think he is, how much fun I think he is, how up-to-date, suave. If you don't know the word cool is an idiom, you're going to try to translate it literally, and, and there's just idea after idea after idea after idea that's just totally shattered from the Arabic because these people that were translating it didn't have a clue about the idioms. So I hope that gives you some fodder to think about. And we will be working with those Aramaic ideas starting on the 15th of January, and at least uh, the Aramaic ideas a la the Kabor's Manuscript and the Enlightenment book. Enlightenment is the title of the book that we've published, which contains all the materials so far published from the Kabor's Manuscript.
was found back in the early 60s on the Kybor River in Turkey. That's why it's called the Kyborus Manuscript. And it's been carbon dated twice at the University of Arizona. They're kind of a premier carbon dating facility. And both times it came out about plus or minus at 1,000 A.D., plus or minus 50 years, which makes it the oldest known copy of the Aramaic New Testament. And what the imprimatur on the manuscript says is that it is a copy of a text from approximately 165 A.D., So that's what we'll be working with. And if that opens any thoughts or questions, we've got about 20 minutes left for conversation. So if you're out there in listener land and you have any thoughts to express, questions, then it'd be awesome if you pushed one and we had a conversation. Our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999. 3581-563-999-3581. Call that number. You'll Got a hand up. Show directly. Oh, great. Let's say hello. I believe it's Dusty. It's a record 904. You're on the air. Well, aloha, one and all. Aloha. Como estas? Yes. Well, I uh, very much liked, uh, enjoyed what you were talking about and, um, uh, that whole thing about uh, rage that you brought up. Um, I saw rage, overwhelming rage for over 10 years. And it is a, kind of what you said. One of the, uh, it seemed to be the uh, strongest masking agent over any kind of loving reality that I've ever seen just out of rage. And um, you really hit a spot on that one. It was good stuff. Mm. And um, But I wanted to tell you in brief, because I'm kind of right juggling two things right now, but um, I have been studying the Kaboris manuscript, and I thank you for that. And wow, what a... Tr- what a what an interesting uh, read that is. Um, and for those that might not know, Kaboris manuscript is a, a lot is a place where some of this Aramaic comes from. I guess that you that you uh, uh, expound. Right, and, the Enlightenment um, book that you've got is a uh, is what we published so far from the Kaboris. Gotcha. Okay. And um, I thought it was very interesting. The whole first third of that um, a manuscript was pretty much a um, academic documentation, which I thought was very good, and a rather engaging story about how the gentleman went to this obscure place at the headwaters of the Euphrates back in the 60s, you know, a couple of different trips, and uh and found this manuscript and got it out of there just before it was taken over by whatever government was in power that didn't want anything like that to exist. Thank God right. that it got back. And um, 
Yes. That thing. And one thing that really struck me strong in there, Michael, was that um, uh, there was a judge, I don't know, it was Kelly or something like that. Judge who, Assidy Kelly. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I you would know that. And um, um, in the Georgia... Yeah, he was a mentor uh, of mine. Oh, okay. Well, you could have done worse, by golly. Oh, my goodness. What a guy. In fact, in brief, the story was that he had this kind of information introduced into some hardcore prison, uh, hardcore prison system in Georgia, which I can relate to, but that's another story. <laughs> but at any rate, he brought it into the prison, and um, the recidivism uh, back then was, what, 96% or something. It was really horrendous. High. And after they did this, now this is just what's written down. I mean, who knows if this, I mean, I, uh, you know, so, but the recidivism after this was introduced to willing participants who, who could uh, uh, grasp it and own it was only 3%, which is stunningly phenomenal. I mean, and many of them became teachers. Of the work. Well, I believe that. Uh, I could, I could see that. I mean, uh, yeah, it works for me. It works for my brothers, kind of thing. And uh, but uh, that's just a stunning um, difference. Uh, I was expecting like, oh, maybe twenty five percent drop or something like that. But no, this is practically all of it. And uh, and then the fact, uh, the integrity of this uh, uh, Dr. Kelly, Judge Kelly. Um, uh, that for whatever reason, it was pulled from the curriculum in these prisons. And some would say that, uh, well, there's too much money to be made in prison since we can't be having this. But whatever the reason, uh, Judge Kelly went and resigned because of it. And I went, Wow, now there's some integrity and there's some dedication. And that's a beautiful story. Yeah, at one point, Judge Kelly was actually the head of the prison department in the state of Georgia. And then he became a Superior Court judge in Albany, Georgia. And that's where we had the, and we worked hand in hand with Judge Kelly with the um, Judicial Service Agency, where we did pretrial release programs with prisoners. And it was actually the local sheriff, ultimately, that uh, got it out of the local prison because, basically, the sheriff got paid by how many beds he had filled every night. And he wasn't having very many beds filled, and he didn't get much income from the state. So he found a way to get rid of it. Boy, it doesn't take too many uh, uh, well-placed or unwell-placed, depending on how you want to look at it, consciousness of darkness to, to, to run a good thing because it took a lot of work to get that to the prisons at that point. And, uh, yes, I, I commend to anybody that was involved in that, whether that's you, Judge Kelly, the people went over in the sixties and grab um, the whole gang. Yay. Yay for them. And, uh, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I could go on and on about the manuscript and, I will another day. I've got a couple of things I wanted to mention 
and see what you thought. But I I appreciate with that talk that you just gave. It just it was just very um, it was meaty. It, it, there wasn't much fluff in there at all. <laughs> we try to stay away from the fluff and make it meaningful. Yeah, well, you did, and I hope get to uh, the guts of it. People got that. Yeah, and that, uh, but but I'm still, and then I come back, and I'm, I guess I have to finish this uh, this conversation on that rage thing. And uh, I mean, I have looked looked at that demon right in the eye quite often when I was little, and I could see how it blanketed out everything else. Nothing else counted but the rage at that moment. Yep. Yeah. From that person, and uh, uh, wow. So many lives ruined by that. Oh my goodness! My goodness! So many lives well, destroyed. Yes. Uh, any any parting shots on the divorce uh, or anything you said before I sashay out of here? Well, I'll I'll share one story. Uh, I remember being. I would go and spend time in Albany with Dan at the Judicial Service Agency while we were creating laws of living, putting our two courses together. And uh, so, and I would teach there at the Judicial Service Agency. And I remember one particular day there was a, a fellow that came in who was a local. And how can I describe him? He he probably probably the best way to describe him is this is a guy in size and stature and appearance that would be the last person you'd want to meet in a dark alley. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And Dan, his name was Dan McDougal, and everybody called him Mr. Mac. And I oh, remember my. this guy, I mean this giant of a guy, and he had spent the majority of his mature years in prison. Mm. And he came bouncing in the front door. Dan was in the room. Says, Mr. Mac, Mr. Mac, I kept Rachma active all week this week. <laughs> Just as excited as a little kid that he oh. was able to keep his mind connected to love for a whole week. Oh, wow. You know, and I mean, I mean, this guy was, you know, probably 380 pounds, 6'6". Six, six, you know, <laughs> don't come yeah. near me <laughs> in a dark area. <laughs> and, uh, and he was just like so excited about what he discovered, that he could keep love active in his own mind. And this is a kid that had been through hell as a child, and then, you know, went into the prison system and spent years in the prison system. Yeah. Now he's excited about the love in his mind. It's like, hey, it oh, doesn't that, get better than that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, Michael, that's that's about as good as it gets right there, and and that's a yep. very, very inspiring. I'm touched by that one. Um, it sure is, yeah. It's pretty I've been around too much of that sort of thing to, to not be able to appreciate it. And which brings me up to one last point here, too, because uh, I live next door to a guy that uh, had, um, well, he'd done vehicular homicide. Anyways, he'd spent over five years in the big house somewhere out west and um, for murder. 
and um, mm-hmm. and he lived next door to me, and he was one of these rather large and one of these red-haired guys that, that ordinarily you could set him off, you know, with, you know, with anything. But after mm-hmm. he'd done you know, five years in there, he had learned, and his whole take, and I use this word because it kept coming up in the manuscript was perception the mind's perception and he says yeah it's all per- every time something would come up and you would think that he would I, w- I would ordinarily think maybe he'd go off sideways no he would just say well it's perception it's a matter of the mental perception wow that's pretty yeah. enlightened yeah, I, I awesome. thought so, and, and boy, did we get along because um, I don't know, we just did, and um, um, and uh, that perception, according to the manuscript, and of course, I guess that's true, it's based a lot on the lexicon of the language you're using, and how oh, that Lord. word is used, and yeah, yeah, and so, wow, um, you oh, might share with him. Go ahead. I was going to say, you might share with them a link on the uh, the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop. Uh, if, if he's got that kind of insight coming from a prison background, then he'd probably be really excited to watch that workshop. And Well, uh, I would love to, but I lost track of him a few years ago. And um, oh, oh, he's not. No, he doesn't live there anymore. Oh, he's, okay. he's not okay, right it. here. He's not handy right now. But nonetheless, that ah. was, uh, it was a good thing. And... Um, Oh God! I have uh, I hate it when you have this thought you think Perception. was a really good one, and then twelve seconds later, it's, huh? it slips uh, away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like the song uh, "Dust in the Wind," you know. Um, yeah. Uh, Perception, Anyways, uh, yeah, and so that that was that was quite a quite a. Uh, it, it was a it was a good eye opener for me for someone who did not have a a necessarily a a spiritual program or a, or a psychological program, whatever you know some kind of a right. program to come, to come up with that and um, and so I I've always appreciated that considering the source and I I thank you for your participation in all this Kaboris and Aramaic stuff it's uh, really quite Quite fine. I'll tell you, I feel so blessed by having fallen into it, and it was literally that I kind of fell into it. Uh, uh, I feel I feel very, very blessed that the universe directed me to uh, to uh, to tap into that Aramaic work. Well, sometimes that's the best. That's you know that's how it re- seems to happen. <laughs> yep. You know, yep. is is you kind of fall into something, and so, and and the reason yep. why I think one reason why we quote fall into things that we find uh, maybe we, something we've never done before, but all of a sudden we find we're just really good or or res- or feel good about something is we're already resonant inside with whatever it is. Right. And so you were all yep. resonant, so bingo. And so you were just the right guy at the right time. So anyways, we're definitely moved me. And, and, 
And um, I, I thank you, my brother, and I'll just catch you down the happy trail if that's good. All right. Blessings. Appreciate you. Okay. Ta-ta. Okay. Take care, Dusty. So we're down to about five minutes, Miss Jeannie. Any thoughts for you, dear actually, heart? Actually, three minutes. Oh, no. Three minutes. Um, I put a lot of links in the notes for today, so um, you know it will direct you of how to, you know, the options that you have of getting the enlightenment. I've already had somebody say that they made the donation, and and so we'll get that out to you tomorrow. And cool. if you have any questions. Give us a call or eat, drop an email to genie at whygen.org. And if you're ready to take your work to the next level and you'd like to support us, there is a paid workshop that we do once a month called the Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing Club. And once a month together on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock and Sunday morning at 11 o'clock via Zoom. And we step into doing Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing. So that's a club that's been going on for better than a year now. And uh, we've got people who just recently signed up for their second year moving into it. And it's, a, it's small, but it's a really sweet community. And uh, we, the group works together with just creating support and understanding how to use a mind shifter to stir things up and then use the still point breathing process to resolve. And so we do a still point breathing session on Saturday morning. And then on Sunday, we get together again at 11 o'clock via Zoom. And, okay, what's happened? How are things unfolding? What's, uh, what do you need support with? And a uh, really sweet community of folks. So it is a, and a paid workshop. this it's one Saturday. Of this Saturday and Sunday, yes. And so if you're interested in joining us for that, it is a paid um, process. And a single a one session on, in that club, uh, and you get a video on how to use the mind shifters, and then the point breathing session, processing session. And the cost for a single session is 150 You can register for a single session, or you can register for three sessions, and the cost drops to 125 Or you can register for a year, and the cost for a year is 900 so it's dropped significantly. And if you, you know, try it out for one month and you go, yeah, I'm ready to do this on a, you know, sign up for the year, then we prorate, you know, if you paid the 150 rate, we prorate that so it drops down and you, you get the year for 900 So if you want to join us for that, that would be awesome. And if you're interested in doing that, drop Jeannie a note. She'll get... Uh, an email out to you with a link to the workshop on MindShifters, how to use the, the MindShifter tool. And then Saturday morning we'll gather and we'll go right from square one to uh, to the MindShifters and support breathing process. So in the meantime, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you. And have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.